Good morning. Let me explain something to you before we get started. Back in March, I lost my hearing in one ear. Woke up, couldn't hear. They brought it back through shots in my ear, which left a hole in my eardrum. I got that fixed Wednesday and contracted some sort of stomach virus over the weekend, so I am barely hanging on this morning. And hopefully you will excuse me if I'm not very uh, social afterwards. Um, not only is my ear packed with stuff, I can't hear anything I'm even saying right now hardly. Um, I wouldn't be able to hear you, and I don't feel all that well. So please forgive me for uh, being a little antisocial this morning. It was November of 2002, a gentleman by the name of Jim Sulkers in Manitoba, Canada, came home one night. He got under the covers, pulled them up to his neck, and he passed away. It was two years before he was ever discovered. And you say, well, how in the world would it take two years to find somebody who had passed away? Well, Jim Sulkers had retired. His pension was automatically deposited in his bank account every month. All of his utilities were automatically drafted out of his bank account every month. He really didn't have much family. When they went to finally check on Jim Sulkers and found him passed away, they also noticed he had a rare condition which his body didn't really decompose or emit an odor. His body was found in a mummified state. And instead, you know, other than just some spoiled, you know, food in the fridge, everything was pretty normal. It's as if Jim Sulkers continued to live two years after he died. And I think that's really an apt illustration of what is being talked about with the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. Look with me there. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How do you survive a grizzly bear attack? Well, don't run. That's the first thing. And assuming that you don't have any pepper spray or a gun or something, then you play dead. Now, playing dead is something that some animals in the animal kingdom take to a whole new level. Possums play dead. So does the hog-nosed snake. We had these where I grew up. I don't know if you've ever seen a hog-nosed snake, but they take playing dead to a whole new level. They'll actually roll over on their back, open their mouth, stick out their tongue, and emit a foul-smelling odor. When it comes to playing dead in order to get out of a scary situation, I think we all know what that's about, but the church in Sardis was playing alive. They were the opposite of the possum or the hog-nosed snake. They were playing alive when they were actually dead. You know, back in 1998, my mother was teaching school, and the district that she worked for uh, decided that they were going to change insurance carriers. 
And so because of this, every teacher had to go get a, a, a workup, you know, checkup, all those kind of things, mammogram and everything else. And they discovered that my mother had cancer. Now, nothing was suspicious before she went to the doctor. She had no idea. She looked healthy. She acted healthy. And come to find out, she had a mass. It was breast cancer. Now, she survived that. But it's kind of like our, our own James Boone. You know, one day you're playing golf. Next day you're being told you have 45 days to live. You know, everything can look great on the outside. Everything can seem to be in tip-top shape. But underneath, you could be dead as a doornail. When you think about a dead church, what do you think about? Maybe this? Kind of a dead church, right? How about this one? Maybe you think of that when you think of a dead church. Have you ever thought about this as a dead church? How about this one? We don't typically associate beautiful asceticism, gorgeous buildings with being a dead church, but truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how your church looks on the outside, it could be a church full of zombies on the inside. Here's how Charles Swindle says that one could identify a dead church. The sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpses with undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, and morticians for ministers. Their preacher graduated from a theological cemetery. They sing Amazing Grave, How Sweet the Ground. The members drive to church in one line with their headlights on. And whenever someone places membership, the church immediately notifies the next of kin. Each week, they put an ad in the obituaries. How do you, when you think about a dead church, how do you define a dead church? And, and maybe you go by Charles Swindle's examples there, but truth of the matter is, the outside may look vibrant and warm and inviting, but inside, it's full of dead folks. Live churches have parking problems. Dead churches don't. Live churches are willing to change their methods. Dead churches are not. Live churches have lots of noisy kids. Dead churches don't. Live churches grow so fast that they forget people's names. Dead churches have known everybody's names for a long time. Live churches move out in faith and dead churches operate solely by sight. Live churches heavily support missions. Dead churches keep everything at home. And live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. Now certainly, we can make the correlation between dead churches and live churches and all these things that we've listed here may apply. But as we said, the truth is you can, you can see a beautiful, vibrant church on the outside and look through the windows and see nothing but dead Christians. The contribution may be humongous. The preacher may be doing a bang-up job. The singing may be through the roof, but it still may be full of zombies. There are always three kind of churches under one roof. There is that church that the people think that they are, the church that others think that they are, and the church that God knows that they are. So when Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead, no other assessment was really needed at that point. If Jesus says you're dead, then you're dead. You better call the coroner because that's, that's the only assessment that really matters, right? But why this assessment? What was it about the church in Sardis that made Jesus play the grim reaper? I'll tell you what I see when I look at this church, and maybe you noticed it as well. What I see when I look at this church is nothing, right? I mean, you think about it. When you look at the church, you see nothing of significance, really. I mean, it should arrest us that Sardis had perfect peace in a world that was volatile, right? 
You think about all that was going on in the culture at this time, and as far as we know, Sardis faced no persecution, no threat from the outside. That's pretty telling, isn't it? There's a man by the name of Vance Havner who has said, every ministry begins with a man, it then becomes a movement, it then becomes a machine, but then becomes a monument. And Sardis was in the monument stage. This church wasn't a weak church that just needed a little bit of resuscitation. It wasn't a sick church that needed a little bit of rejuvenation. It was a dead church that needed to be revived. Society had written great over the door of this church. They had even put great over the door of their church. But Jesus had written them a letter and said, No, the the sign that should hang over the door of your church is dead. And he says, Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Now you have to understand, when it comes to this church in Sardis, it is a direct reflection of its city. The city of Sardis was a once vibrant and thriving city, one of the most thriving in the ancient world. And it was living on its past reputation because it had an uh, endured a couple of attacks or sieges and you know even an earthquake and so now it was kind of a remnant of what it used to be and the church was much the same way it was living on its past prosperity it was thinking that everything was still good when it wasn't the church in Sardis was the perfect model for inoffensive Christianity as I said a while ago I find it interesting that of all the persecution that was going on around this time the Sardis seemed to face no threat from the outside. It seemed that people were just going with the flow. And so, you know, being an offensive type of Christian, not that we want to be that, but if you're living in the world that these people were living in, you're probably going to be offensive, especially to Rome. And yet they face no outside pressure, no outside threat. But the truth of the matter is, when the, when the, the, the controller of your church would put it that way, When the one who is controlling your church is of the devil or if Satan is controlling your church, it doesn't really matter how big you are or how warm or how vibrant or how thriving you are. When when you're apathetic, when when you're a dead church, it's easy to just play dead or to play alive in this case. The nice thing about apathy is you don't really have to do anything to show that you're serious about it. But it wasn't like the church in Sardis wasn't doing anything. Jesus recognizes that they had done some good things. They just hadn't become completed in his sight. They had done some things that were not perfected. They had shot out of the starting blocks, maybe like their hair was on fire. They were doing right things for right reasons, but their enthusiasm had waned over time, and and they had lost interest, and they needed to regain what was lost. You know, a, a church can be busy. A church can be doing a lot of good things. A church can be spinning all the plates. But if the church isn't about Jesus and the gospel first and foremost, then it isn't really truly the church of Christ, is it? It's not a scriptural church. You can disagree with me on this if you'd like, but what I believe is that several years ago, many years ago, the church kind of lost its focus. We began focusing on what everyone else was doing wrong. And we began having debates, and we began writing people up in brotherhood journals, and we began, you know, scolding everyone else around us. Is there a time and a place to call out error? Absolutely. Is there a time and place to, to talk about the various 
differences that we have along denominational lines and all that. Absolutely, don't get me wrong. But when that becomes your sole focus, and when you start becoming angry, and you start acting in a way that's unchristlike, that's a problem. And I think somewhere along the way, the church as a whole kind of lost its focus. We kind of got off track a little bit, and we started focusing elsewhere. When our number one primary focus should be Jesus and the gospel. We can't be so busy about other things that we dismiss these things. Even if what we're busy with is important, it's not more important than these things. And I think that's precisely what our Lord is addressing here with the church in Sardis. They needed to wake up because they had forgotten what it was all for. Their purpose had been lost. Deeds were being done. But for what? Verse 3 it says, So remember what you received and heard and keep it and repent. Remember the gospel. Keep the gospel. Remember why you're here and what you're here for. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Anything within you that's still alive, any little spark, any any kind of life whatsoever, any kind of breath, bring that out. Bring it to the surface and get going. Busyness doesn't always equal productivity. Jesus is saying we can cancel the funeral here if you'll just submit to CPR. Their deeds were incomplete because they lacked the proper meaning and motivation, and they had become lax in the mission of the Messiah. I'm almost embarrassed to even bring this up. How many of you have ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, there are a lot of folks here that have probably seen that movie. If you haven't, I can tell you this, you're either going to like it or hate it. There's no in-between. It's, uh, it's, it's not a dirty movie or anything like that. It's rather tame, but it's... Uh, It's just one of those movies that may not be for everybody because it's a little odd. It's a little strange. But in this movie, there is a character named Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico wants nothing more than to go back to 1982. He's living in the past. There he is. And as you can tell by his attire, he hasn't moved out of the 80s. Although I don't even remember people in the 80s wearing that. But Uncle Rico wants to go so badly back to 1982, mainly so he can be the quarterback of the football team and win a state championship. And I bring him up because I think he's a prime example of some of our churches. We stay stuck in the past. The past becomes our hero. We worship the past. There's a lot of Uncle Rico churches out there that refuse to do anything different. Their mantra is, well, we've always done it this way. There's a huge difference between living in the past and learning from the past. The past can't be our hero. The older a church is, the more successful it probably was at one time, and more likely that maybe its leaders and its people are stuck in the past. You'll often hear people say, well, let's go back to the way it was. And the problem, of course, is you can't do that. You never can. You can never go back the way it was. I appreciate the past of the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. I so appreciate that this was a church that began in the 90s with a group of 70 or so people who came over from Baker Heights to plant a church in this location. I appreciate our past. But if God wanted us to minister in 1995, he would have left us there. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to continue to be that movement so that we don't become the monument. We've got to continue to be in that machine stage, that movement stage. Churches that live in the past never have much of a future. You know what? There was a preacher that was preaching for a small church in a small town, and he told the members, he said, uh, 
when you come back tonight, we're going to have a funeral. And the folks were kind of confused. This was a small church in a small town. They knew everybody in the town who died. But they came back that night, and they were very curious. And as the preacher preached, he, he mentioned some things that were very generic. And he said, I know you're curious. I know you're, you're wondering who it was that died. And I'll let you come up and pass by the casket at this time. And so he had a casket up at the front, and people walked up, and they walked by. And when they looked in, they saw a mirror. They were the ones that had died. And unfortunately, too many churches don't even realize that they're dead where they sit. But the good thing about a dead church is that the people that are in it are alive, right? I mean, they're still drawing a breath. They're still alive physically. And that gives me hope. And that's what I love about the book of Revelation, especially the letters to the seven churches. Because even with the strongest condemnation, there is hope. Jesus always gives hope. Even when times were bad in the Old Testament, God gave hope, didn't he? And I love that he carries on that theme. I love that there's, there's still hope and there's still time to change things, that this letter to the church in Sardis gives me great hope as well because I can look at it and say, well, no matter how bad it may get for any of our brethren here, there is hope on the horizon. It can get better as long as you can draw a breath it can get better. I don't look at this church in Sardis and say, well, at least we're not that bad. No, I mean, I look at it from the hope and the standpoint of as long as we're drawing a breath, we can get better. It may, it may seem like Jesus is talking out of both sides of his mouth here. He says, strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. And then yet he says that there's hope. So how can he say both at the same time? Well, that's the hope we're talking about. Only Jesus is in the resurrection business. He is the one that specializes in resurrections, and the great physician has given, is given us hope. He doesn't say maybe there's hope. No, he says there is hope, and the only caveat to that is you've got to stop playing alive. You've got to recognize your deadness. They had to come to grips with their deadness. Do something about it. I think it's important to note that when Sardis received this letter, and when they gathered together to have it read before them, they received all seven letters. You realize that, don't you? That any church that received a letter, any of these seven, they received all seven letters at the same time. So not only would the church in Sardis have heard their letter read, they would have heard the letters read to all the other churches as well. And they would have heard all the glowing things that were said about some of the churches. They would have heard the, the condemnation said about some others as well. They would have heard the praise. They would, have, they would have heard the good and the bad about every single church. And so when the reader got to them, they may have thought to themselves, oh, well, we're going to receive a lot of praise because, I mean, you know, look, we're Sardis. I mean, look at our past. Look at what we've done. Look at uh, all the things that we have accomplished. But instead... They received these words that are only six words. One sentence that's only six words in the original text. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Right after this letter, you see the letter to the church in Philadelphia. A tiny church who was the opposite of Sardis in so many ways. Philadelphia didn't have the illustrious past. This church in Philadelphia was not large. It was not prosperous. It was not well-known, but it was the best church. Out of all the churches that received glowing accolades, Philadelphia had the most to talk about in a good light from Jesus. I don't think that's an accident. 
Philadelphia was a small church making a big impact, and that had to be pretty eye-opening for the people of Sardis. It's as if Jesus is saying, look at Philadelphia. They haven't had any of the advantages that you've had, and yet they're still the open-door church. They're still a church that is moving and doing. They haven't wavered in their faithfulness to the mission. Here's what I want to get to this morning. Here's where I want to end. What if Jesus were to write a letter to the Oldham Lane Church of Christ? What do you think that letter would say? I have no doubt it would have a lot of good in it. Because this is a loving, warm, and vibrant congregation. This is a group of people that love the Lord and love each other. But if we're being honest, we could probably think of some things that would receive maybe some criticism from our Lord. Maybe, maybe he would say you need to strengthen these things. You maybe need to do these things like we talked about last week. I mean, there is no perfect church, right? You can be a healthy church and still not be a perfect church. And I think we're healthy, but I think there's probably some things that we can do better. But the truth of the matter is we don't have to think about a letter written to us by Jesus because we, we can read all these letters written to the seven churches of Asia and find what, what our Lord expects. We can read through them and see what He wants, what He doesn't want, what He expects, what He doesn't expect, the commendation and the condemnation. And we can apply that to our church and really any church in this day and age. And here's what I believe. I believe that of all the churches that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, of all those churches, we are the most in danger of being this one. Sardis is the one that we are the most in danger of becoming. And you know why? Because it's far too easy to become apathetic and lethargic. It's way too easy to become a dead church. Because all it takes is for a group of people to prop up their feet and rest on their laurels and say, we've made it. All it takes is a group of people to say, we're not moving forward. We're going to maintain what we have. We're going to live in the past. We're going to treat the past as our hero. That's all it takes. All it takes is a leadership that says no to everything. We're never going to be more than what we are right now. Good enough is our slogan. That's all it takes. Do something with me. Taking a deep breath. Just taking a deep breath. Do you smell formaldehyde? Good. I don't ever want to smell it, do you? Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be here. So thankful to be at this place at this time. Not just at worship this morning, but to be your church in Abilene, on Oldham Lane. In this community, may we be everything that you would have us to be. May we be a church after your own heart. May we seek to be a movement and not a monument. Thank you so much for loving us and sending your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, we want you to know that this is a family that cares about you. And if we can pray with you, if we can uh, study the Bible with you, if we can you know, maybe set up a time to, to talk with you, Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. You want to do that this morning. We want you to know that that invitation is here. Mike's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need this morning, why don't you come while we stand and as we sing.